We're in Yitro, Shemot, uh, Exodus, the 19th chapter. Yitro. Uh, it's titled after uh, Moshe's father-in-law, who was, um, you know, whether he was a, a ger or, or Bnei Noach or converted, uh, we do know that he had a very profound uh event in his life in which he recognized that God was, the, the real true God was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the portion starts off with that text, but we're going to skip beyond it and go to chapter 19. In chapter 19, it says, on the third, uh, third month after the Israelites departed from the land of Egypt, and on that very day they entered into the wilderness of Sinai. They journeyed from Rephidim, entered into the wilderness of Sinai, and encamped in the wilderness. Israel encamped there before the mountain. Moses ascended before the Lord. And the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Say this to the house of Jacob, and declare it to the children of Israel. I would like to stop right there for a second and explain something that's that I'm just now finding out. So you find something out new every year when you study a portion. Uh, the Torah that was given to Moshe, God instructs him first to instruct the women and the men. The key text here is this text right here where it says, uh, declare it uh, to the house of Jacob and to the children of Israel. The house of Jacob representing the women and the children of Israel being the children of Israel, uh, being the, the, the men. Now, there are several reasons why the Midrashim uh, lets us know why the women. First, it, uh, just as a woman become obligated to observe mitzvah in, at 12 years of age, unlike a boy for 13, she has to learn mitzvahs before uh, or begin to do mitzvahs before the boy, um, which is a year earlier. It says, uh, if the women would be th thus uh, distinguished, they would also exert greater effort to provide their children with Torah education. Hashem said, when I gave the first mitzvah to Adam, but, do not, uh, but not to Chava, she consequently sinned. So therefore, the reason why he gave it to the women at Sinai first is because he wanted to avoid the situation that happened in God the Garden of Eden. Being addressed first also was a special honor for the women. It was granted to them because B'nai Israel were, uh, were redeemed from Egypt in the merit of righteous women. Who were the righteous women? Those who ignored Pharaoh's command to throw the children uh, into the water. So this, this level of beauty and righteousness is the reason why Hashem had Torah taught to the women. And when I read this text, it became apparent uh, there was a question uh, uh, I would say probably a, a six-year question that I had that I never could figure out. Why is it that women tend to get these concepts quicker than men? This is it. This is it. Women tend to get it quicker than men. Now, obviously, you have to apply yourself. You have to learn to our before you can get it because there are a lot of women who don't get it. But the point is, is that is that is the um, that is the reason. Um, now, what we have taking, taking place at this moment is the giving of Torah to B'nai Israel. And I'm trying to get over to um, 
to my page here. Um, the given, yes. Well, see, I, I tried to be nice. I, <laughs> she said, because they, did, they didn't want us to make the same mistake again. Right. So right. They had to be, we had to be first. Yeah. Because he didn't see, you can say that. I can't say that. I have to stay uh, yeah, somewhat. Pointed that out. Oh, your husband? Okay. Yeah. That's. Yeah. So, Matan Torah, the giving of Torah, uh, wasn't the taking of Torah, it was the giving of Torah. One of the, the great ideas of. Jewish spirituality found in Kabbalah is that, that that is about receiving, having Hashem give this to His people. For 26 generations since the Adam, since the time that God created Adam, Hashem had wanted to transmit to mankind the knowledge of Torah. We all know that the knowledge of Torah was transmitted on a limited basis from Adam all the way down to Abraham and to his, his sons. This precious Torah needed some time before it could be put in the larger scope, the larger uh, body of the people of Israel. Finally, he found the people willing to accept it. How do we know that? Because he told Abraham, uh, the reason why that I've selected you this day, and I'm going to make this covenant with you, is that you will teach your children to obey all of the commandments that I have given you. So he already knew that within this man carried the seed of many people within a nation that would adhere themselves to Torah. The great moment of this revelation was waiting anxiously by the entire universe since it would thereby realize the spiritual goal of creation. It was Shabbos morning on the 6th of Sivan, 2448. At Mount Sinai, there was a tremble of excitement at the momentous event that took place. The mountain shook, lightning bolts flew through the air, the dust began to bounce, and as God spoke, even the Hebrew letters were starting to form in the air and in the sand of the ground. Absolutely terrifying people. Something very unique happened to the people. They, I gotta find my notes, thanks. <laughs> Almost forgot my notes. Uh, <laughs> So something very powerful and terrifying happened to the people. What was it that took place? There was a national revelation that took place, which is very unique and needs to be mentioned. All religions, and we've discussed this before, all world religions usually are founded by a person or an individual that has a revelation. Uh, with uh, Christianity, it's Mary has a... Um, has a, a, like an angel appear to her. Muhammad has an angel appear to him uh, to give him uh, the, the knowledge of the Quran and other religions. This situation is absolutely unique. I pulled out a, a divar or a lesson or a lecture by a professor of Jewish philosophy at uh, Bar Ilyan University in Israel, and his name is Shimon Eliezer Sparrow. And I, I just had to bring down some of this idea that came, because when we look at this, you, 
We all are very familiar with the text. We know what takes place. Very powerful event in which the people are absolutely, completely mind-blown by the event. And it was profound. So profound that even when Israel was pretty much not a nation, they maintained through that profound knowledge that they received at Sinai, it remained with the Jewish people. Even when they were dispersed all through Europe and the, um, the, uh, the, the Sephardim, uh, the Hispanic Jews that were spread all over the world during, during the uh, Inquisition and the pogroms, they maintained, even those who found themselves conversos, Catholics, maintained traditions that have now begun to wake them up to their Mount Sinai experience. We have someone that comes to this community who is from uh, Ecuador, I believe, correct, Leslie, or Peru? Peru. Roger came, has been part of the community, and just began to say, you know, I, I, I get this. This guy was, I think he was a Jehovah's Witness before. And he, huh, Mormon? And he, he says, I get it. I get this now. I don't understand why I get it. And I said, you should check about your Judaism. And obviously he started checking into it. Come to find out, his mother, his grandmother and grandfather on both sides were Jewish. Called the little town, spoke to a lady, says, oh yeah, I knew your, your grandfather. And they, they have the proof on, on, uh, on the, what do you call it, the gravestone, written in Hebrew. And he has no idea because he's been estranged from his family for, I don't know, some odd 20-odd, 30-odd years. Yes, and finds out that they talk to the Roka rabbi who will provide the, the letter for him. You know, at the cemetery where my grandmother was buried a few blocks over, there's uh, the Rodriguez family, mm-hmm. and they have the Jewish star. Really? Star there. David? Really? Wow. Like I said, this was a profound event if it still has reverberations 3,700 years later. That's just a profound event. This historic event that took place at Sinai is called, I'll give you a fancy word, theophany. Has anybody ever heard the term a theophany? Meaning that the creator of the universe, though he has no form, displays himself within supernatural levels, and it's, it's, uh, it cannot be denied. There were several significant, significant things associated with this theophany. Let's first talk about the religious significance. God chose the place and the time and the world in which he is going to reveal his law to the people. And therefore, over generations, the focus has been primarily on the content of this revelation. What are the things that God demands of man? What is the purpose of mankind in the world? And what does God demand? How does he expect man to operate and to live within the confines of this world? I think that it was, it was mentioned in our men's uh, time of discussion that Aurelio said, it's like buying a, a fancy car, very complicated, especially nowadays, cars with all the electronic equipment inside of them. Buying a car and not having an owner's manual or user manual for it would be absolutely useless to you. At some point, you would, you would feel the effect. There's a social significance. All the Israelites stood together. Now, that's a, think about this. 
all of the Israelites, not just the Israelites, but they're also with the Garim, right? It was the, the stranger that was with them. All stood together, and they heard it. And it's, it said, we shall fully obey. It says, we shall hear and obey. Now, what kind of a person would say to anybody, you go up to them and you say, hey, will you do me a favor? Absolutely. Most people go, uh, what, what, do you, what do you need? Right? What do you want? It depends on what you ask, right? Why did they just say, whatever you say, we'll do? Because they were scared. Scared? How about this? I think there's another reason. They had, had been eating manna, right? They walked through the Red Sea. They, they were like, how could we not do this? And second of all, whenever they saw this great demonstration of the Creator, it was like they really didn't have a choice, but they did. God wanted them to choose, but He also wanted to show them beyond a shadow of a doubt this wasn't a hoax, right? And we've, we've said this before, and it, it, it's worth saying again. Can you imagine if Moses would have came down the mountain without all of this stuff happening, right? They didn't see anything. They just see Moses disappear, and he comes back down, and he goes, whew, that was a long trip up. I'm getting old, but uh, wow, you saw the lightning, and we heard God spoke. And God gave me the commandments. They would have been, that's not how it happened. Right? You think they would have perpetuated laws that doesn't make sense if they would not have seen the power of God. Now, there is a moral and legal significance. Let's look at this for a second. It becomes clear from the text that God did not give Israel the Torah as a gift, nor as a burden, which he imposed on them by virtue of being God. Rather, God wished that they would accept Torah on their own free will. By their consent, he wanted. Indeed, thus it was all the people who answered at once, saying, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. Exodus 19, 8. Also of Moses, as representative of the oral law, and to the legislation of the rabbis through generations. And the Israelites said, everything that the Lord God tells you, we will be willing to do. And when we talk about the Torah, most people don't know that there was more than one Torah. There is the Torah that God gave Moses. And then later God says, and the Torah, the Torah, the Torahs that I've given you. So there were Torahs and there was a Torah. The oral Torah that, that Moses began to teach all of the, the judges and the elders to teach the people is the oral Torah. And it's, that's where it, got, it, it had its beginning. In other words, the legal and moral foundation of the Israelites' obligation to obey the Lord's commandment is undertaking which they some assumed upon themselves. Furthermore, the consent between the giver and the recipient is called a covenant. They made a deal. Here's the deal. God says, if you will do these things, then I will bless you. If you do these things, you will prosper. If you follow these commandments, I will be your God and you shall be my people. Moreover, the two concepts emerge from this covenant. Concepts bearing on the essential, uh, bearing and bearing on an essential, uh, essential, I'm sorry, essential to the theology of Judaism. Israel is the chosen people, and on and its special destiny is to be a kingdom of priests. What is the Jews' responsibility in the world? Uh, to be the light of the nation. Right. I, it's 
interesting when you say that, that, that there were the chosen people, but they weren't chosen just because, you know, they looked like, you know, something that God, you know, loved or liked. They were chosen because they accepted the Torah. Right. Right. And, and with that, because um, I think it's the Talmud that talks about that he offered it to all the nations. Right. It's, as a matter of fact, it's, it, it said that when the Red Sea split, all the seas split. Right. Right. And then when Sinai shook, all the earth shook, like all the elements shook. Exactly. And everybody heard the same thing the Israelites heard. Everybody else screamed and hollered and said, no, thank you. Right. We don't want it. And the Jewish people said, yes, yes we'll take and it. That's why they were the chosen. Right. That's why. Exactly. Thank you. Very, very good. Very well stated. Thanks for reminding me, too. The, um, the idea that it is through Abraham's seed that all the nations will be blessed. What will they be blessed by? What is going to be the blessing? Obviously, we can talk about all kinds of material blessings Israel hands to the nations. But it's the, it's the blessing of, of Musar, the wisdom and ethics of Torah, that all the nations can enjoy that. All the nations can enjoy it. And so that's, that's a huge significance. Now let's look at the last significant, significant uh, thing about this event. It, let's look at the theological uh, significance. The Israelites themselves, even while standing at the base of the mountain, sensed that something special had taken place. And the utmost importance of this event should be noted. They said to Moses, or Moses said, they said to Moses, I'm sorry, we have seen this day that man may live through God, though God has spoken to him. It's a major revelation that God could actually speak to you and you still live. Because up to this point, when they heard his voice, they were scared they were going to die. That's what I thought that when you asked earlier, mm-hmm. that they had heard all his voice and they were like, no, 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 Moses, will you right. talk to right. God and you can tell the truth. Right. Because they were scared, and at the same time, okay, we'll do whatever you want. Right. Yeah, and they, they, you know, know, sure, maybe they were scared they were going to get killed, right? (laughs) Who knows? But, you know, there was some persuasion when you see all the lights, smoke, and and the fire, right? Mm -hmm. But there was a profound theological moment when they realized God can speak to you and you not die. You can hear from God and he not destroy you. That's a very profound thing. The real innovation, however, was that the creator of the universe desired to speak to specific human beings, namely with the small group known as the Israelites, Maimonides, for his part, sees in this event the basis for believing in the truth of the prophecy given to Moses as he writes. What is the source of our belief in him? The revelation at Mount Sinai. Our eyes saw, and not strangers. It wasn't strangers' eyes that saw. It was our eyes. Our ears heard. It was somebody else's ears. There was fire. There was thunder. There was lightning. He entered the thick clouds, and the voice spoke to him, and we heard God speaking to Moshe. Moses, Moses, go tell them the following. We heard that. We all know it happened. How is it known that the revelation of Mount Sinai alone is proof for the truth of Moses' prophecy that leaves no short, uh, shortcoming. Exodus 19.9 states this, I will come to you in a thick cloud in order that the people may hear when I speak to you, so 
trust you ever, forever after. He needed to show that he had, that Moses had a legitimate connection. Do you think that they would have obeyed Moses if they didn't think God had spoken it? I mean, you know how they always say that within the Jewish community, everybody has their own opinions and they're, you have three rabbis and you have 12 different opinions, right? So the idea is, look, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have taken this. They wouldn't, they wouldn't have accepted another Pharaoh to tell them what they have to do without knowing that God had delivered that to them. Apparently, Maimonides meant to say that knowledge of this important event did not come to the Israelites by the way of a story conveyed uh, from mouth to mouth, rather as a living personal experience. Our eyes saw, our ears heard how the Lord delegated Moses and uh, yeah, de- delegated Moses and relayed his word to the Israelites through Moses' mouth. It seems to me, however, that Maimonides emphasized on the sense our eyes and our ears is somewhat problematic, especially in the view of the verse, all the people saw the thunder and the lightning and the blare of the horn and the mountains of smoke. When the people saw it, they fell back and stood at a distance, which you were talking to earlier, Exodus 20, 15. It was also Yitzrot's point of entry into Torah. When he saw and heard, when he heard what had happened, clearly he knew. And he was a, a great chacham, like expert in world religions. He was, he was the guy that everybody would go to for advice on religious matters. And he had studied him, huh? He was a th- no, he was a theologian. As a matter of fact, it's interesting because, you know, we've always talked about how Yitro is the f- example of the Ger or the Noahide, right? And every Noahide that I know, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, the one that's in, um, in Prague, Czechoslovakia, he is, you know, when I, he told me his journey, I, I was like, I, I was kind of smiling at him. And he says, what, is something wrong? And I said, there's nothing unique about your journey. <laughs> Why? Because every one of you in this room pretty much says the same thing, right? I was this, then I became this, and then I started studying this, and I couldn't find satisfaction. I couldn't find out what I, why, why I couldn't get the answers. And then I started opening up a, a Torah, and I went to Chabad, and I started listening to, the, to Rabbi Skobach, and the same rabbi, the very same rabbis that every one of you've heard. I had a, the guy from Trinidad called me a, a, a couple of days ago. Same identical thing. All of the same rabbis that you guys listen to, they listen to. Right? And what, what's happening? What's happened is the same experience that it says that every, every Jew was at Sinai. Every Jew, even the ones alive today, was at Sinai. It's like their souls were at Sinai. In the same way that the, the Jewish people believe in they saw and heard themselves, the B'nai Noach and the Ger are at Torah and taking Torah on because they believe, because they have seen and they have heard. What did they see and hear? They've seen the words of the Torah. They've heard the words of the Torah. And when they heard and when they saw the Torah, they said, we will do. That's a, major, that's a beautiful thing. So that means that the theological significance behind this event is that it, it continues all the way up to redemption. And though we are relying upon Holy Writ text, 
every one of us said that when our eyes fell upon the text for the first time and we heard the logic of Jewish wisdom, immediately we was like, but that makes sense. Now, I don't understand it all, but it makes sense. I think it was Richard, when he came, he said the first time, it's like, I, you know, I don't understand very much of what you're talking about, but I like it. There's, some, there's something right about this, right? And so you, you, you study enough to find out. And so this is a very powerful event. Um, how can we now, how can we see how God's, uh, the Lord's words, uh, how can we see how the Lord's words uh, were given to the Israelites? He says this, you yourself saw that I spoke to you from, from the very heavens, Exodus 19.20. How was it that they could see his words? You know? Exodus 19.20. He saw his words according to sages because the words were written in the firmament itself. It's like the Hebrew letters showed up. They received a supernatural download. Can you, can you imagine how powerful that was? And, and not only that, but very much like their patriarch, Avraham, God says, Avraham, you have, you have uh, done all of the commandments that I have given. How did Avraham know the Torah when it had not been given? Because he had a connection. He had a supernatural connection in which he understood. He just understood what he was supposed to do. The sages of blessed memory said that he was doing kosher at that time. He was doing all of the things that were required to include prayers and praying. How did he know how to do all those things? Because he had a connection with God that gave him that information. When the Jewish people were at Mount Sinai and that incident took place, there was a supernatural download. And they got it. They understood it. It says, it also can be interpreted, you all had such a momentous and convicting experience as if you saw that I am the one speaking with you from another realm, something supernatural, inventor of all inventors. Consequently, the revelation at Mount Sinai is the very foundation of Judaism. Indeed, the main knowledge that comes to us from the theophany at Mount Sinai, that there is a, a moral creator of the universe who speaks with human beings, we receive through the super sensual experience firsthand and not meditated, not mediated. The text goes on to emphasize the important role of the voice in the entire event. It says, for what mortal ever heard the voice of the living God speak out of fire as he did and live? Deuteronomy 5, 23. As well as this, you heard the sound of the words, kol devarim, but perceive no shape, nothing but a voice. Deuteronomy 4.12. What is it meant by kol devarim? Kol alone can mean simply a sound and not a human voice, and a human voice can be a shout and not comprehensible expression. Therefore, the text stresses kol devarim. A voice that utters words. You heard it. 
could uh, could make out a comprehensible words. Uh, you could make out comprehensible words and sentences. Clearly, the main object of revelation at Mount Sinai was to give the Torah, to reveal the Lord's will, and to hand down a detailed way of life for the chosen people. Why? Because they had a mission. Their mission was to live out this detailed way of life so that the nations could be blessed, so they could receive blessing. But aside from this content, this voice had a very special quality, a miraculous nature, such as the one who heard it could recognize the voice itself, something that pertained to the speaker. The voice of the Lord is multifaceted. The voice of uh, the Lord is power, and the voice of the Lord is majesty, according to Psalm 29.4. Sometimes the voice of the Lord assumes the form of words and sentences, as in the Ten Commandments, and sometimes the voice of the Lord becomes a fiat, for He spoke, and it was Psalm 33.9. As it is written with the ten utterances, the Lord, the world was created, according to Avot 5.1. says, But whether the voice of the Lord appears as mighty or as beauty, whether it or as teaching, whether as teaching or, as, or, or in nature, one can expect the product to bear witness to its maker, just as one who contemplates creation is filled with admiration for the wisdom, the momentous power and, and the beauty, and will attribute these characteristics to the Creator. So we know. How do we know it's God? When we read it, it attests to God. One of the things that we hear over and over from those who come to Torah is your whole life has been searching. As a matter of fact, uh, Luis from uh, Prague said his whole life he just wanted to know truth on everything. He just want, wanted to be honest, always wanted truth. Doesn't like the wool pulled over his eyes. He was raised in communist country, was an atheist, comes out of that to become a Catholic and started his journey. One just wanted to know the truth. And he said when he read the words of Torah for the first time, he said something inside of me said, now this is God. Like this is truth. That same theological um, significance exists today just like it did at Sinai. Though you cannot hear the audible words of God speak to you, when you hear uh, the Torah read, when you listen to Hebrew being read to you, or you hear a lecture and Torah is read, or the Tanakh is read, you are hearing the voice of God speak to you. Wow, now that's amazing. Why is that? Not because the person speaking is a deity, but that the words have the same power as if it was spoken at Sinai at that very moment. The reason why all of us are here and those who watch our lectures watch on a regular basis, it's because they themselves has found themselves either like Yitro or like Israel, and they've heard the voice of God, and they've heard it spoken through Torah. And if God is God, in which we know He is, then we should then begin to live at the highest level of, of passion to draw close to Hashem, and to do Torah, to live Torah out in our life. And that concludes this lecture, and we shall now go to any questions or comments that you have.